See if you recognize this old song. music buffs, you'll recognize Three Dog Night, the song is one, and it talks about singleness. Singleness can be a lonely place, but so can marriage for some, and so we want all people to feel connected in the church, whether married, whether single. So as we unpack this week's Family Matters topic, we, we note that there are some who are single who prefer singleness, and there are others who are single who would prefer to have a partner and, and be married, and our focus Today is on the truth that singles matter to God, and they should matter to the church as well. So whether you are single or not right now, we all have been single at some point in our lives. Not everyone has been married. Not everyone has had children. But everyone of us has experienced what it feels like to be single. And singleness is a a broad definition. It, It contains many layers of what it means to be single. There are those who have never married. There are those who are separated. There are those who are divorced. A single may be 18 years old or maybe 85 years old. A single may be a widow or a widower. A single may be a single parent or a single may not have any children. So there are many specific needs and and definitions of individual people under this umbrella of of being single. Jesus was single, and he knows what you are feeling in your singleness. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus was single. The Apostle Paul was single. We all are or have been single. The Apostle Paul wrote this in in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, verse 7 through 9. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God, and one has this gift, and another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. At the time he wrote these words, Paul was was single. And the the God-given sex drive has kept the human race going for thousands of years. But it is to be controlled outside of of marriage and expressed only in marriage. And that's what Paul was was warning about. Farther down in that chapter, 1 Corinthians 7, we pick up in verse 32. He said, I would like for you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs and how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world and how he can please his wife. His interests are divided. An unmarried woman or or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs, and her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned 
about the affairs of this world and how she can please her husband. I'm not saying this for your own, I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, that you may live in a right way in an undivided devotion to the Lord. Some scholars conjecture that Paul may have been married previously. The Bible never says whether Paul was married or not. Some think that he was at one time, based on what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5, where he said, don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and, and Cephas? And so some interpret that we as inclusion, that he's meaning, hey, you know, don't those of us who are married have this prerogative to take our, our wives with us on these missionary journeys? If Paul was married at one time, his wife likely passed away, considering he, he never mentions her in any of his writings. Paul's statement to the unmarried and the widows in the Corinthian church gives evidence that he was not married at the time of his writing of that letter. As we just read there in verses, chapter 7, verses 8 and 9. So clearly he was not married at that time, but whether he was married before or afterward is a matter of speculation. Some believe that the Apostle Paul was married because history tells us that members of the Sanhedrin were required to be married. Although Paul never states that he was a member of the Sanhedrin, he definitely seemed to be on, on a path. He said in Galatians 1.14, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. However, Paul might not have advanced that far before he converted to Christ. So was the Apostle Paul married? It's possible that at one time, but again, the Bible does not specifically say so. Uh, Paul felt that he had the gift of, of celibacy, and he chose to apply that so he, he could be completely dedicated to serving the Lord. He, he readily acknowledged that not everyone was designed that way, and he said it wasn't wrong to marry, and, and he felt it was superior to satisfy these God-given sexual desires in the context of marriage rather than to disobey God's plan and, and exercise them in another context. And so there are some blessings of, of being single. If you're single, you get to do what you prefer to do when you want to do it, and there doesn't have to be a, a lot of give and take on that. A single has greater flexibility and, and freedom of schedule. And at times, we, we all want to be alone. There are moments where we all would just uh, see a, a benefit or a, a value in that. And so those are some of the, the upside features of being single. But there are challenges to being single as well. One is feelings of, of loneliness uh, when you don't want to be alone, when you'd like to have someone to talk to, um, some companionship. Especially this can be hard for widows and, and, and widowers. And what I think is an important take-home for us today is that when someone has lost a, a loved one, they still want to talk about that loved one. Sometimes people think, well, I don't want to bring up, you know, her husband who's passed because that'll just remind her of, of him and, and that'll just, you know, make her feel pain. Well, a widow's already feeling pain. And, and if you enter into that pain and talk about memories of her husband and, and positive, uh, you know, 
recollections, that has a, a healing balm that, that can help. So uh, silence isn't always golden in, in a case like that. I think another challenge is wishing for someone with, with whom to share life experiences. I mean, this meal was so good, you know, if someone else would, would have enjoyed that you know, with me. I would have loved to have had them experience that. Sometimes the challenge can be more pressure for financial security on, on one individual rather than in the shared income of a, of a, a, a two-parent home. And another challenge for, for singlehood is, is wanting to have a child to love. And more and more single adults are choosing the path of, of adoption. And I'll tell you about an experience that happened to me about 15 years ago. A, a woman who was a member of our church came in to talk with me, and she announced, uh, Jeff, I'm pregnant. I said, oh, I, I didn't know you were, were dating anyone. She said, I'm not. And I said, oh, uh, I'm so sorry. She said, no, it, it wasn't that. I wanted a child to love, and I am single, so I made the decision to be artificially inseminated, and I, I'm now three months pregnant. And I wanted to let you know what was happening since I'll begin showing soon. I've never had that happen in a, in a visit before, and so I, I prayed with her that day. I told her that her church family would help her and her child in, in the days to come. It's been 15 years since then, and, and throughout the years, th that church has done a great job of offering love and support to her and her family, and she received the same support and encouragement that was given to any single parent. The, the men of the church became father figures to her daughter and son, and she later had a son who came in the same fashion as his, as his sister had. And, and so uh, there are obvious blessings and there are obvious challenges involved in, in being a, a, a single Christian adult. I wanted perspective from people who are walking in, in that path, and, and so I asked for several people in our church and in other churches who are single to give me some perspective and, and let me give them some voice today on what uh, they're feeling being a single in the church today and what's positive and what's negative. So I'm going to read some of those reflections that were su submitted to me this week. One said, I, I thank God literally for the generous, outgoing welcome among the congregation. They welcome me and engage all folks, not just singles. I, this person goes on and says, I'm glad to say I've never witnessed uh, anyone saying or doing anything you know, that was, was unbecoming. Uh, another wrote, when I have felt most valued is with families who take time to include me and provide opportunities to incorporate me into their regular family life. Maybe inviting me to eat a meal with them at their home or out somewhere or attend a sporting event for their children. It's nice to feel welcomed and that my presence is valued. Another single wrote, it's hurtful to have someone ask and mean it. What's wrong with you? There has to be something wrong for you not to be married. That's not the way to say that. Uh, this individual said, I've, I've had to learn and relearn that I may not have all of my desires fulfilled here on earth. God has a plan for all of us. And when we surrender to him, we have to learn contentment in his answers. 
not our earthly desires. This person wrote, I'm not less of a person because I am single. I like to be included in gatherings, even though my chapter is not the same as that of my peers. One wrote, just as being married doesn't encompass or define someone in totality, neither does my singleness. Not everyone wants to be married. I think the thing that I would really like for people to know is that unless you have a close relationship with me, it really doesn't concern everyone why I am single. I don't go around asking people, why did you marry? And many times I have people who are just uh, an acquaintance at best question or drill me about my singleness. I think another caution is uh, sometimes those of us who are married want to play matchmaker. You know, I can find a girl for you. I can find the, the right guy for you. And, and unless the person has invited you to do that in his or her life, then that, that may be an intrusion that is not welcome. One wrote, God knows what each of us desires. I don't understand his plan. None of us do, but I've surrendered to him. I have to decide each and every day to surrender all of me, and this includes my singleness and my desire to be married. I know that his plan for my life is far greater than the things I desire here on earth, and I have to keep my focus on my eternal desire of living with him for all eternity and set aside my earthly desires as I worship him through the even ifs of life. So... Let me just summarize some of those comments from from several uh, singles outside our church and and within our church. First is is don't be insensitive. Uh, Don't say, what's wrong with you? You you, you ought to be married. You're a great person. Uh, They're already aware of that and may have some pain or confusion about that. I, I remember reading about a woman who got that question. She was bright and attractive, and and people would say, what what's happening? Why, why aren't you married? And this was her answer. She said, I've never found a man deserving enough of the, the company and joy that I would provide him. <laughs> Good answer. I remember growing up, our, our, our church had a pears and spares class. Probably not the, not the best way. You know, when I think of spares, it's like those spare parts at the end of assembling a project. And I guess we don't need these. Let's throw those, throw those away. So I, I'm sure that was well-intended years ago, but I'm, I'm glad churches have moved away from that, that kind of a label. And again, let me caution you, don't match make w- without permission. That'll be harder for some of you than, than for others. So. But here, here's the do list. Do invite. Do include. Do make it clear that we want you to be part of our extended family. Uh, you can be a spiritual uncle or aunt. You can have an influence without... You know, being married or having kids. Um, and there are times, again, when people want to be alone, but there are times when you can feel isolated. And so don't let anyone feel isolated. And make sure they know that they're included. The singles, I would caution, pray for God's perspective. Pray for God's person. Pray for God's provision. Avoid that human tendency to, to rush in and help hurry God along in our impatience and, and try to steer his will in our lives. Well, one way that our, our culture encourages that is through cohabitation before marriage. And virtually everybody is doing it, but 
cohabitation before marriage is a departure from God's instruction. It is popular, but problematic. The object of marriage is to include God at the center of your relationship, to invite his blessing, to, to reflect his values and his teaching. And there's some myths surrounding cohabitation, living together without being married. One is that myth number one, living together will help us be sure that we are compatible. You don't buy a car without taking a test drive. It's just the, it's the same principle is, is what people have concluded. And the truth is, statistics show just the opposite. Instead of improving one's chances of having a lasting marriage, it sabotages one's chances. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. There's a path that appears to be an obvious choice in, in human wisdom, but actually it leads to destruction because it's a deviation from the path that, that God had. And in fact, we, we now have more than enough research that, to see that that's just the case with cohabitation. It, it doesn't provide this better gauge for long-term success by experiencing intimate life together before exchanging vows. It, it actually weakens relationships and promotes divorce. Cohabitors break up at a rate up to five times higher than married couples. When their relationships unravel, cohabitors experience all the emotional turmoil and much of the economic fallout of a divorce. And while transitioning from cohabitation to marriage stabilizes some relationships, studies show higher divorce rates remain for those who have lived together before marrying. For those who marry first, the decision to give lifelong care and love to one's partner comes before the pleasures of married life, including sexual intimacy. The couple promises, in effect, not to seek the gratification of their strongest desires from one another until they commit to a life of mutual service and faithfulness. And postponing intimate life becomes a way for couples to express their devotion to one another. From the outset, commitment to the well-being of one's partner is given priority over personal satisfaction. The couple who marries first understands that devotion does not stem from the joys of intimate living, but serves as the foundation for those joys. The couple who lives together before marriage proceeds from the opposite direction. For them, the, the pleasures of intimate life are not a reward for devotion, but they serve supposedly as the basis for commitment. They measure their compatibility and if satisfied, base their commitment to one another on the pleasure they extract from the cohabitation arrangement. For the couple who marries first, courtship is a test of their commitments. For the cohabiting couple, courtship is an experiment in compatibility. Whereas the couple who married first trusted that commitment would lead to the pleasures of intimate life, the cohabiting couple has wagered that indulging those pleasures will give rise to commitment. What happens when these couples marry? It's impossible, of course, to, to maintain the soaring emotional experience of courtship forever. And so the couple who married first is more likely in the midst of marital strife to return to the roots of their devotion, which never depended on personal pleasure or the demands of compatibility. P perhaps cohabitors break up more for the simple reason 
they never really form or nurture commitment to stay together in the first place. If that hasn't been the, the proper foundation that you started with, let me challenge you to start over in this area of your relationship. If you're going the wrong direction, God permits U-turns. When I counsel with couples before marriage, I, I remind them of God's intention to remain abstinent before marriage and, and faithful after marriage. I'd like to read a letter I received a few months after I came to Bright. and uh, It was written by a, a couple in my former church in, in Dublin. And I had had to share in love some hard truth with them and a challenge for them to, to change their premarital sexual relationship and, and start over in that respect and begin abstaining until their wedding night. And this letter articulates what numerous couples through the years have, have told me after similar discussions. Dear Jeff, as we approach the two-year anniversary of our marriage, we wanted to thank you and make sure that you know how important you have been in our marriage. We were at a pretty low point shortly after we were married, and your counseling and, and prayer were a big reason that we stayed together. We think that we can go back even further to trace how your counsel helped our relationship. Even though we weren't sure about it at the time, before we married, your advice to refrain from further intimacy until marriage helped form the basis for a stronger marriage. We both were amazed at how relying on God and trying to follow his will for a biblical marriage has created a relationship that is stronger than we could have imagined. We've been praying together, attending worship every week. We've put our family's finances in God's hands. Thank you for giving us that foundation to rely on in our marriage. We miss you and your family, and we pray that God blesses you and your work. Love. Then it was signed. And what they and, and many others have said was, thank you for, for loving us enough to, to challenge our thinking on this. And, and in response, couples have changed their living arrangements prior to marriage with one of them moving out or they've moved up their wedding date and they've gotten married privately and, and kept the date for their larger family and friends celebration with the date that was previously scheduled. As a follower of Christ, it's a powerful witness and a gesture of obedience to him to say, we did some things out of order, but going forward, we want to honor Jesus in this aspect of our relationship, and we want to have him be central in our lives together. That's powerful, and you won't regret doing things his way. Many are being led to believe this popular lie that, that runs counter to the advice of our, our maker. And so we need to be able to identify this counterfeit logic of the world and, and know what God says in his word. And our culture is advancing another myth about cohabitation. It's the myth that it's just a piece of paper. That, that doesn't change anything. The truth is that the act of a formal commitment does change the way a couple relates. A couple living together is still walking on eggshells, putting the best foot forward. The other person can leave at any time, and, and there is a sense that there's never that, that, that true uh, relaxing and, and relating. The couple that didn't defer the temptation of satisfaction, indulgence until they were married is, is less equipped 
and more susceptible to yielding to the temptation of an extramarital affair with a coworker or while on the business trip or when working together on a project with another. But why do I really need a piece of paper if I truly love the person? You see, some people feel that the marriage license only complicates things. It, it doesn't enhance. It, it actually hurts things, they think. Gene Apple said, living together before marriage keeps the exit door open, which breeds insecurity every time something isn't perfect. It says, hey, we're in this together, or until I find someone that I don't you know, think about and, and, and like more than you if you don't keep me happy. I'll just leave that door open until I, I find someone else that uh, I think would be better. And in that case, then uh, I'm leaving you. The University of Wisconsin r- reported that those who marry after cohabiting have about a 75% divorce rate. They also discovered that only 15 out of every 100 cohabiting couples who were married uh, remain married after a decade. In other words, 85 percent of the couples who are living together today and then choose to be married will not be married in 10 years. Research shows that married couples are, are less likely to have a satisfactory sex life if they live together before marriage. The statistics are, are sobering. Another study found that marriages that begin with cohabitation are 46 percent more likely to end in divorce. So if the current divorce rate is about 50% in America, that means that those who have cohabited before marriage would divorce at a rate of about 75, 73%. So two independent studies, one says 75%, the other 73% if they live together. It doesn't improve the odds as is expected or hoped. It does just the opposite. So that, that leads us to myth number three. Well, the damage is done. I, I'm no longer pure, so what difference will it make if we start over living in purity now? Sometimes that resignation is used to justify failing to stop doing what we know is wrong. So let me give you three take-homes to remember. Number one, God created sexual desire, and, and rightly satisfied, it is a positive thing. A loving God made food taste good, and he made sex to be pleasurable. And that was his intention. That was his design. Take home number two is Satan cannot create. He doesn't have that ability. He doesn't have that power. Satan can only pervert what God has created. And in the Garden of Eden, he began to create doubt, saying, oh, did God tell you not to eat of that tree? Oh, come on. Boy, is he keeping you guys from having fun. My goodness, you're, you're missing out. You know, you're not going to die if you eat of that tree. Come on. And so he still practices the same temptation. He offers us a better alternative. He attempts to discredit God's way. He suggests he knows more than God and and has a better path for us. And then the the, the third take-home is that Jesus had compassion on those who were trapped in sexual sin. Instead of condoning their disobedience to his standards... He called them to live in purity and, and, and forsake their sin. In John chapter 8, verse 11, what did he tell the woman who was caught in adultery? Go now and sin no more. And our society today wants to say, go now, it's not sin anymore. 
You know, we're rewriting what's right and what's wrong. That's not what Jesus did. He, he called sin, sin, but he loved people enough not to let them be trapped in that. He, he called them to be freed, to be liberated, and, and to leave their pattern of sinning. I want to urge you today to, to start over in, in this area of your relationship if this is a, a challenge for you. I want you to draw a line in the sand and make today the day of pledging your commitment going forward from this day on a commitment to, to sexual purity. You know, marriage is a, a microcosm of the Christian life because in the Christian life, just like in marriage, you have to choose to whom you are going to be committed. And there are a lot of different things vying for your attention that you can worship. And, and God says, you know what? I, I want to be number one in your life. And as the church... We are to be the the bride of Christ. There's this picture of purity. And so I invite you, if you've never turned your life over to Christ, to to make that commitment today. If you're already a Christ follower, uh, then you might want to become a part of a a church family that that focuses on God's teaching and, and tries to live that out each week. And we can help you make that decision. If If you're struggling and one of these, these areas, we'd love to talk with you and, and support you and, and help you, whatever that may be. Loneliness uh, as a single, uh, grief as a, a widow or a widower, um, sexual purity as, uh, as a single in a culture that says that doesn't count or doesn't matter. Whatever the need is in your life, we, we'd love to help you. I'm going to ask you to stand right now. I'll, I'll be down front. You can come forward as we sing.